Hey, 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 welcome to the Pastor Duke podcast from sunny Sarasota, Florida. Yes, we are snowbirds again. Thank you, Lord, escaping the Soviet Republic of New York. Man, there's a lot of scary things in front of the New York State Assembly, but... <laughs> Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But we're glad to be in Florida. I'm sitting out by the pool every morning, you know, suffering through 75-degree weather under palm trees with a breeze, drinking a little glass of lemonade, writing out my podcast text for you, my podcast family. Love you. Thank you so much for tuning me in. And we're going to continue today in the prophetic view of things. Call my thoughts today. <laughs> These are the words of Jesus. And ye shall be hated. <laughs> Isn't that a, an exciting title? You shall be hated. But it is important. You know, long, long ago, our Lord told us of the world conditions to expect at the time of his return. He didn't need to give us the book of Revelation, but he did. He didn't need to go to a cross and take upon himself the sins of the world, but he did. He didn't need to give us uh, 300 prophecies to look for at the time of his second coming, but he did because he loves us and he wants us to know what's happening, man. The Old Testament gave us specific conditions prophetically for God's people to look for concerning Jesus in his first advent. You find in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, Philip findeth Andrew and saith unto him, We found him of whom the prophet spoke. See, they knew the scriptures. I like to call it the glove of prophecy and the hand of reality. That's how it worked in his first advent. That's how it will work in his second coming. Over 300 prophecies were fulfilled by Jesus in his first advent, including some of the huge ones like born of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10, of the lineage of King David, part of the Davidic covenant, one from the seed of David would sit upon the throne of Israel forever. And that's exactly what Jesus will do when he returns. He'll sit on the throne in Jerusalem. All those prophecies were fulfilled in his first coming, and they too shall come to pass in his second. But if you don't know what they are, then you just kind of listen to the news, and it's all bad, and woe is us. But hey, we're drawing near the time of his return, and we are on the winning team. Thank you, Lord. Scriptures that Christ would be born in Bethlehem fulfilled, that he would come out of Egypt. Remember, remember King Herod declared war on this baby born king of the Jew, and Joseph was tipped off by an angel, forced them to flee into Egypt. So another prophecy is fulfilled, my son shall come out of Egypt. God was sovereignly in control of the situation. He sits on the throne in heaven. His unseen hand has guided history from the very beginning to the very end, and he wants us to know what to look for. Jesus fulfilled 300 Old Testament prophecies concerning Messiah, and that's how they recognized him. They knew the scriptures. They connected the dots. Their eyes were enlightened. Their heart yielded, and they became the fathers of the Christian movement, the apostles and others at that time. 
Christ chose to give us even more signs concerning his second coming. Today I focus on just one, and it's not a fun one. It is uh, one that is in the face of every true believer, and it's intensifying with each and passing day. In Christ, Olivet Discourse recorded in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. The whole sermon in answer to the disciples' question, when will you return, Lord? Jesus said in all three accounts, all men shall hate you for my name's sake. This isn't fun, but this is reality. We better be ready. He said they will be so deceived that in their hatred for you, they will think that they are doing God a favor. He said they will see evil as good and good as evil. Man, I hate to be hated. I, I, I'm a peacemaker, man. I make, make love, not war, we said back in my day. I hate controversy. But the words of Jesus are true no matter how I feel or what I want. I surely don't want to be hated for being a... Uh, jerk or dishonest or immoral, shame on me and shame on all of us who profess the name of, of Christ if we're hated for being foolish or being sinful. But if we're hated for his namesake, that, that's a different story. Therein we could go on our way rejoicing as the apostles did, counting the privilege to suffer for his namesake. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are ye when all men shall revile you and speak evil against you falsely. You know, Jesus took special notice of those who were persecuted for his namesake. Jesus actually stood at the right hand of the Father when his first martyr, Stephen, was martyred there in Acts chapter 7. Stephen didn't back down. He didn't water the message down. And in his martyrdom, he pleased the Lord as a special prize and a crown will be waiting for all those who, who live for the Lord and even died for the Lord. You know, any persecutions here in this life will be worn as a badge of honor in eternity. Being persecuted for righteousness sake is nothing new. Ever since Cain killed Abel, the unrighteous have hated the righteous. God's people were hated by the pagans for worshiping only one true and living God who they believed was the only true God maker of heaven and earth. The early Christians were hated by their fellow Jews for trusting Jesus as their Messiah and falsely accused of turning away from Moses. The earliest martyrs were Jews killing Christians, other Jews who had converted to Jesus. And all the while they're thinking they're doing God a favor. Then Satan escalated the persecutions into the hands of the pagan Roman emperors who believed they were doing their gods, little g, a favor for killing Christians who said the myriad of the pagan gods were all false gods. So Satan always likes to frame up the agenda to make it look like the good guys are the bad guys and the bad guys are the good guys. Nothing new under the sun. Only 60 years after Emperor Constantine signed the Edict of Milan in 313 AD, making Christianity their new form of Christianity, the official religion of the Roman Empire, which was the actual birth of the Roman Catholic Church. 
It was only 60 years later the Catholic Church began persecuting the evangelical churches who refused to join into this new Catholic system. The Catholics called them Anabaptists, a derogatory term. You baptize again because you don't accept our infant baptism. You won't accept our sprinkling. You're the dunkards. You take them all the way under the water. It was a derogatory term, and it wasn't long when there was central control of religion that the central controllers, Catholicism, began to persecute what I believe is the true evangelical church that's been around since Christ started it in his life and ministry. While they were killing the Anabaptists, they believed they were doing God a favor. Satan has always played hardball, always blinded the minds of the biblically illiterate, always filled them with rage and hostility towards those who walk in the light. Why would anybody think at the end of times, at the end of the church age, anything would be different? The New Testament made it clear, Philippians 1.29, that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The American churches from the time of our founding fathers have enjoyed a wonderful and long season of freedom without persecution. Kind of not seen in the world before. And of course, now the times are here when our freedoms are fleeting away. Our forefathers came here to this new world uh, mostly to escape religious persecutions in Europe. Religious freedoms were written into our founding documents unlike any political documents ever seen in the world before. So the Church of Jesus and biblical teaching was a dominant force in the founding of our balance of power in our U.S. government. The Bible was the textbook in our public schools in the early days. The Ten Commandments still hover over the chamber of our Supreme Court to this very day. From our shores launched out the greatest number of Christian missionaries throughout the combined history of of all the nations throughout the church age. America was the first nation to recognize the birth of Israel as a modern state. We had written into our laws the Judeo-Christian moral code concerning sodomy, concerning the right to life, which Roe versus Wade took away in 1973. Well, that was then, and this is now. Obama gleefully, just a few years ago, proclaimed America is no longer a Christian nation. And with a broken heart, I kind of agree with him on that one point. And so sad it is. I'm going to hit today in this podcast the major persecution points that make Jesus' people so offensive in our post-Christian America. Each one of these issues are crystal clear in the Word of God. There is no room for obscure interpretation. Oh, it all depends how you interpret it. That's a bunch. Oh, never mind. It's simply an issue of do we believe God's Word and believe it, or do we believe the Word of man? Will we stand on God's truth and suffer reproach, or will we be silenced to gain favor with those who hate the gospel. Do we fear God or do we fear men is really the issue. 
The first point would be this, the authority of the Bible. Now, that's been a controversy throughout the ages, but especially today. I find it almost humorous how even the unsaved will say, oh, that's the gospel truth, when they are trying to drive home a point. It's a gospel truth. All the while, they reject about 90% of everything the Bible says, but just some about how that they kind of look at the Bible in a different light at that moment. I find that uh, kind of hilarious. The Jesus followers, or us, when Scripture speaks, the issue is settled. God said it, it's settled. Romans tells us, chapter 4, I think, verse 4, let God's word be true and every man a liar that is written that you may be justified when you speak and you may overcome when you are judged. Standing on ancient truths without compromise is a huge offense to the unsaved. They call us dogmatic. They call us narrow-minded. They call us bigoted. They say we're trying to take culture back to the dark ages. Truth is, the ultimate offense to lies is truth. The ultimate threat to lies is truth. And, of course, Jesus said it's only the truth that can set us free. Absolute truth was not just flushed down the drain in a societal moment by a decision of the Supreme Court in a moment of time. It was a subtle planned process of the evil one i think maybe we could look at it this way first came relativity oh well that's your truth from there absolutes were viewed as crutches for the weak-minded to hold to you know those deplorables the unredeemables clutching to their bibles and to their guns we were deemed as uh, simpletons uh, silly and now the dangerous, yea, domestic terrorists, I've heard us called very recently. But I find it so interesting that when those same people who despise us on all those fronts, they seem to trust their children to us and find a good Christian daycare, a good Christian school. I find that ironic, but I find it beautiful. It's kind of like just the essence of Jesus kind of gives people a comfort zone with children. It was Jesus who said, suffer the little children and be and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God. Number one, absolute truth and offense. Number two, the exclusivity of Jesus. Well, for those of us who follow Christ, it's a done deal in Scripture. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Done deal. You know, Oprah Winfrey is angry that anyone would hold to a Jesus-only position. And she's so brilliant on other fronts, um, so benevolent, uh, so entertaining. Uh, she a, has a delightful personality, but I've heard her literally go off on believers who quoted the verse I just quoted, saying, how dare you think that other religions aren't just as good as yours? Who are you to judge others on this point? Let's see, she says she believes in Jesus, but she denies the very things Jesus says about himself. The exclusivity of Jesus has long been an offense. 
you know, the cults, Jehovah's Witness, think they're the only ones going to make it into this kingdom thing. They don't even believe only but 144,000 go to heaven. But only the Jehovah's Witnesses make it, in their view. Only the Mormons make it, in their view. Up until about two popes ago, Catholics believed only Catholics had a chance to go to heaven. And they got to pass on all that. But we who just simply quote the words of Jesus saying, he's the way, the truth, the life, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. We're hated for that. You know, I've seen uh, so-called Christian leaders, Joel Olstein on Larry King Live being asked about the exclusivity of Jesus. And I've listened to him dance around that, not quote the scriptures. I'm sure he knows trying to just kind of gain the favor of the world who hates Jesus, dancing around it. And Larry King had interviewed Jerry Falwell. He'd interviewed Billy Graham and Franklin Graham. And those guys always uh, delightfully stood upon the salvation by grace through faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. You know, I'm not mad Jesus is the way. I'm just glad there is a way. And whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. But I see those who even name the name of Christ, yet deny him and his exclusivity, all the while to gain favor with ungodly men. Makes me kind of wonder, do they even know him? So number one, the authority of Scripture. Number two, the exclusivity of Jesus, so unpopular. Number three, our stand on Judeo-Christian morality makes us the hated, deplorable, and unredeemables. We are unapologetically committed to pro-life. We are unapologetically anti-abortionist, and that makes us a stench in their unholy nostrils. We stand where America long stood on homosexuality, and the Bible still stands concerning homosexuality called sodomy in the Bible. We know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. We know in the last day's prophecy warning that Sodom would return in the time of the end. We know our U.S. Supreme Court officially embraced same-sex marriage only six years ago as the law of our land. We know that 71 new genders have been unleashed into our non-biblical society. We know that gender dysphoria is admired in this present post-Christian America, just a few years back, it was considered a mental disorder. And my heart breaks for those who suffer from such, but Jesus is the way, Jesus is the answer, and he can fix that problem if they'll just listen to what he says. We know that the woke culture that dominates our educational system now, our government, and our mainstream media deplores historic Christian moral standards. They say we are trying to take America back to the dark ages. I tune them out, and I tune Jesus in, who said, Blessed are ye when all men shall revile you and speak evil against you falsely. God has not called us to be rude. He's not called us to be unkind or on these issues, but he has called us to stand and show our generation their sin. It's not a sickness, it's a sin. Jesus died for our sins, sends his spirit to live inside of us to give us strength to turn from our sin. Back in Sodom, Lot, Abraham's backslidden nephew, 
just seem to quietly blend into the morally corrupt culture of Sodom. He was even willing to send out his two daughters to fulfill the lust of those evil perverts that came that night when the angels came. Of course, they did not know they were angels, and they did not know that that would be the very last night of their perversion, that fire would rain down the following morning. If God were giving America a movie title today, I think it might just be called Sodom 2. Number four, our pro-nationalism and anti-globalist views. Oh, the world hates us for that one as well. When I say pro-nationalism, I'm not saying that America should rule the world at all. God set up the nations to be sovereign. He set them up thus to thwart Satan's plans to rule the world. God set up the nations by language groups back in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. Satan was trying to take over the whole thing, so God broke it up into nations and languages. By nationalism, I want my favorite country, Sweden, to be all Sweden can be. I want Bolivia to be all that Bolivia can be. I want Italy, (laughs) I love their food, to be all... Italy can be. God set up nations whose various cultures are intended to bring God glory and blessing to the other nations. In Revelation, we see God's redeemed in heaven, worshiping God from every nation, kindred, and tribe. Globalism has long been Satan's goal where his Antichrist can operate his totalitarian global cashless government. God tells us in the prophets he will allow Satan to do exactly this in the time of the end. Satan must force the nations to yield their sovereignty to a global governance. Under Trump, most United Nations votes were 184 to 1. And guess who... The number one, the only dissenter was standing alone, the USA. Trump wasn't hated for his weird haircut or his mean tweets. He was hated for opposing globalism. He immediately pulled out of the Paris Climate Initiative. He knew it wasn't about climate. It was about control. He sees through that plan. Uh, If it were about climate, the United Nations would be all over China for her horrific climate pollutions. Same about COVID. It's not about COVID. It's about control. Why else would they ban the cures and force vaccinations of an untested and now we know ineffective vaccine? They call us science deniers, flat earthers. A whole generation of the youth have been brainwashed about climate realities. They weren't around back in my day when a new ice age was being warned against back in the 70s on the front page of Time Magazine on four different occasions. I posted that on Facebook. The actual Time Magazine covers in Facebook took it down and said uh, it was false information. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait for the day when the fact checkers stand before the ultimate fact checker. And I think they'll be found out to be liars. You know, for those of us trying to figure out all this stuff about climate change, a simple follow the money plan will unveil all of the climate hysteria that has become foundational to the globalist movement. 
a generation has almost been captured by save the planet from the people. It's like a religious dogma to them. Only globalism could ever work to save us from this global apocalypse. In the world, it's the Paris climate agenda. Here at home, it's the Green New Deal. Biblicists know that the world will not be destroyed from CO2 emissions. Really clear when you study the scriptures. And biblicists are not for a filthy, toxic earth, as we are accused of. That's a lie. So hypocritical are they, at worst, or just plain blind at best, how their global chemical agricultural methods have rendered much of the soil of the planet toxic. China is so bad that the populace can no longer grow food that they can eat from their own soil. While the public focus and screams are about CO2 emissions, they pollute the food supply under the radar. <laughs> a kind of people, they don't want people to see that. All the while, human depopulation is their fundamental goal, but they're not going to tell you that. You got to go to their documents. You got to listen to what Bill Gates actually says. You got to read Klaus Schwab's Klaus Schwab, head of the World Economic Forum. Read what he says in his most recent book. I'm going to come back to a quote from him in just a moment. Number five offense, COVID vaccine mandates. Now, concerning the vaccines, I think scripture would say, let every man be convinced in his own mind. Same as the Nuremberg Code, same as the Hippocratic Oath and our constitutional rights of self-determination. That could settle it all. But no, it's got to be mandated, and now they're coming after our children. If you don't know why I'm so shook up about this, it's because you don't live in New York, and you don't know what's happening in our state, even as I speak. Most people seem to follow mainstream news. Many of us don't trust the mainstream news. We want verification of the facts. You know, natural immunity is far superior to vax immunity, and the facts are proving this out each and every day. The vaccines don't stop people from getting COVID. It doesn't stop them from spreading COVID. But natural immunity does, kind of like the way God set up the immune system. Wisdom would lead us to look behind the curtain and see who is doing what, who they are in bed with, and who is financially benefiting from the mainstream governmental imposed policies. Follow the money. If you look at who is behind the UN Agenda 21, now called Agenda 2030, and their plans to save the planet from the people, their plans for sustainable growth, which sounds great, but their meaning of that is reducing global population from 7.3 billion down to a sustainable 500 million. Who do you see? We see Soros, Fauci, Gates, and Schwab. Schwab, who boldly says in his most recent book, by the year 2030, everyone will be living in a smart city, driving no cars, use only mass transit, owning nothing and living in 800 square foot high-rise apartments and being happy. 
<laughs> That's his words. And he is a powerful man in this global development system. Then you look at who is at the epicenter of the vaccine mandates. Guess what? Same team, Soros, Fauci, Gates, and Schwab, all getting filthy rich as they control the World Health Organization and the CDC, showing themselves, as it were, saviors of the global populace, and in reality are Satan's minions setting up his new world order, in my view. Many evangelicals fear the vaccines are for more than just a failed stop COVID vaccine. We are fearful they will do huge harm to the human immune system, opening people up to all kinds of horrific health issues in the near future and create a huge infertility plague. Gates has had his hand in that for the last 20 years, creating infertility in India where he is now banned. I'll be thrilled if I'm wrong on those issues, but keep your eye on it. That which is divine has no fear of rational inquiry. Many of us see the whole COVID crisis as a conditioning of the populace to one day enter into the mark of the beast of Revelation 13. We see mandates as a segue towards totalitarianism. We see Satan behind it. So we're on the outside of their agenda on pretty much every point. They say, I am a dangerous lunatic for my positions. If I won't comply, then I should die, is their developing mantra. By God's grace, I will turn the other cheek, and I will pray for them who use me, and they lie about me. I will pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They silenced me already on social media platforms, and one day probably Podbean will be bought out, and I'll be shut down there and have to find somewhere else to go with my podcast, but for now, I'm still here. They forbid my views in their schools. They label me as a homophobe, xenophobe, hate monger, and now domestic terrorist. But the same crowd was there labeling Jesus, calling him Beelzebub, prince of the devils. You see, blind people just think blind, they act blind, and they carry out the kingdom of darkness for their father, the devil. When we have truth, they have lies. And they need to censor any voice contrary to their dogmatic position. They have hate. We have love. We have faith. They have fear. We have a savior. They have a murderer. Lord, have mercy upon these people. We win. They lose. So what do we do? We thank God, kind of the privilege to suffer for his namesake. So fellow believers, Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Be vigilant. Put on the whole armor of God. You may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand in confidence. Stand in the light of great study and information. But do not stand in arrogance. God gives grace to the humble. If I have enlightenment on an issue, it's because God gave me light, not because I'm anybody special. God gives grace to the humble. Stand in nonviolence. Remembering vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. We're on the right side of Scripture, and we're on the right side of history. The enemy's time is drawing near now. Globalism may be held back for a season through a lot of complaints and a lot of pushback now. 
But it will surely come because the scriptures promise it will come. Our calling isn't to stop it. It's just not to join it. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Stay in the Word of God. Pray without ceasing. Love one another fervently. Long for Christ's return. Live above your fear. Live without anger. Let God's Word be a light to our path during the days of darkness which are coming upon us. You see, we weren't left in the dark. He told us what to expect, and it's here. Those are the talking points. Those are the things we're getting hammered on. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. I see such a watering down of things, such a, you know, don't turn over the apple cart. Man, Jesus went into the temple at the beginning of his ministry and overturned the money tables. He went and opened up the Passion Week when he already knew they hated him and he was politically incorrect. And he overturned the money tables again because it was the right thing to do. And we don't have to worry about what people think. We just need to worry about what God says. If, if I please men, I'd probably not be a servant of God, Galatians 1.10. And so don't look at that as a problem. Look at it as an opportunity to stand. Know your Bible. Know what's happening. Find alternate sources of news and rejoice. Rejoice. Jesus is coming soon. So, hey, thanks so much for tuning me in as I continue my podcasting these next three months from Sarasota, Florida. So, hey, thanks for joining with me. Love you, man. Hang in there. Never forget, Jesus loves you, and so do I. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>